Welcome to Gathering Gold. This is Cheryl Paul. And I'm Victoria Russell. Today's episode is about a very juicy topic. We are talking about jealousy. And it's a topic that, Cheryl, you said before we started recording, is very near and dear to our hearts. (laughs) Yes, to our jealous hearts. To our jealous hearts, yes. (laughs) I'm so excited to talk about this on the podcast because jealousy feels like one of those topics that kind of lives in the shadows that Mm. we might feel really ashamed of or we just feels really icky and we don't want to talk about it. But Mm. Cheryl, I think one of your greatest gifts is shining light on our shadows and bringing so much warmth and compassion that people feel like they can actually turn towards and face that shadow and then work with it and Mm -hmm. move through it and grow. So that's why I'm so excited to talk about it today. And I think Mm. we both have enough of a sense of humor about it that it can be kind of fun too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So when I think about jealousy, my mind always goes first straight to jealousy in the context of romantic relationships. Mm. But When I really think about it and take a step back, my jealous streak definitely showed up long before any romantic relationships, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was a child. Mm -hmm. And I know, Cheryl, that you feel the same way Mm -hmm. about your history with it. So I would love to hear a little bit about one of your early strong memories of jealousy. Yes, so I was thinking about this episode, as I, as I always do in the days leading up to our recording, and I was wondering if there is, if jealousy is in some sense a temperamental trait, if you are born with some predilection or predisposition to jealousy, um, because I remember feeling it so early in life, and I mean, I can say there was no outward reason for it. I was, I was like, if I was a firstborn or a secondborn child, I would understand. And I think that's a very common time when jealousy shows up is when a baby sibling enters the scene. But I was last. I was the only girl. So the sort of typical reasons why we might look at a child and say, well, that makes sense why jealousy would show up. I didn't have those. Um, I just remember from a very early age having that feeling of jealousy. And the first very clear memory I have was when I was about, I want to say six, but it may have even been four or five. And I had these two very close friends, Elizabeth and Jules, a boy and a girl. And I felt like I was the special one to both of them. Um, and so to me, jealousy also is connected in some way to being special and the need to be special and the worry about somehow being less special. And I really liked, and I think I still like, um, being the special one. Um, and so I remember the two of them starting to become friends and feeling so jealous and, must have been six because that's when I started writing in my journal and I wrote about it in my journal and I tried to process it in my little six-year-old way. Um, 
But I do remember naming it. I don't know if I used the word jealousy, but I was definitely feeling it. And it was quite strong for me all through those early years, into my teens, into my 20s. Um, I'd say it started to soften and quiet a bit in 30s and 40s. But for a significant portion of my life, it was a very strong experience, a very strong emotion. And so I wanted to start with that because like you said, I think it absolutely is one of those shadow emotions that we push aside and we try not to feel. And when people come to me with it, and like we talked before we started, this episode idea came from somebody emailing me or commenting on a post or somewhere asking if we could do an episode on jealousy. And when people come to me in session with it, they almost always come with so much shame. Like I am the worst person in the world for feeling jealous. I should not feel jealous. Evolved people don't feel jealous. It speaks to some really low-minded, unevolved part of me. And none of that is true. It's it's such a natural emotion that, like I said, I think some people are more inclined to than others. Um, I've had friends and I've even some family members where it just doesn't seem to land anywhere in their being. They're just kind of like, what? Um, yeah, those people. <laughs> who who are those people? I don't, I don't get know. it. <laughs> I um, so I thought by sharing that story, um, first of all, as always, I want to normalize, reduce some shame layers if we can, and also suggest that jealousy is like like grief, like um, like fear. It's a natural experience, and the more we push it down with shame, the less access we have to 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 moving with it, to to working with it, like you said initially to transforming it in some way. And that always, always starts with that mindset of compassion and curiosity. Mm. To me, jealousy is such a physical experience. I mean, really Mm -hmm. any emotion is if you're paying attention. Mm. Yeah. But jealousy is like a giant slap in the face of... (laughs) Mm. a physical mm. experience for for me and i wonder if that's part of what makes it scary too like there's definitely the the part of us that doesn't want to seem weak or petty or insecure and so mm. we don't want to show that jealousy to other people but i also just think it's a little scary sometimes how physical and how powerful and strong it can be like it's just this hot boiling Mm. powerful force that comes through me and I think it's scary because it's scary to feel out of control or to feel so consumed by something or to see a part of yourself that is angry or kind of bitter or you know it's not very loving (laughs) and at the (laughs) really extreme end we've seen you know we we've all seen examples of jealousy being violent you know or Mm. destructive and that's really Mm. scary especially for people who don't want to hurt anybody Mm. so I'm wondering what your experience is with jealousy in terms of the physical nature of it and a feeling of loss of control or a fear of losing control 
Yes. And what comes to mind when, when you're sharing about it in that way is the way that it's referred to as the green eyed monster. Yeah. So it, it does have that monstrous quality to it. Like you've just been possessed by something like a demon. You've just been possessed by something so big. And the image I get is, is of this green eyed sort of serpent, like tail thrashing, um, very intense emotion that surges through like anger and that would be its own other episode where we we are afraid of anger we are afraid of that that um intensity of energy that can come through us and afraid of what we might do and afraid of the end result of anger or jealousy and it's most extreme it's very scary and so it's always so interesting to me when we go into those archetypal layers of how it's referred to in the metaphor, in the imagery, is, is that green-eyed monster. So for me, when it comes in, yes, it's absolutely physical. It almost makes me interesting because it's a green-eyed monster. I think it's connected to anger because I wanted to say it makes me see red. Like when it, mm. when it, when it comes in and it's this incredible sense of, distrust, right? And like not trusting the person that I'm feeling jealous with or about to to preserve us, whether it's a friendship or romantic relationship, that it's like the whole bottom of trust just falls out. And it is that feeling of kind of tumbling through space and I can't, I can't get a foothold and I can't I can't, there's nothing to grab. It's just slippery sides all around me. So it is a very out of control, scary feeling. And it requires, it, it requires, and it's a skill. And I think that's why maybe it does quiet down when we're doing our inner work and when we're just getting older through life. It requires some inner parent to show up on the scene and say, okay, let's take a couple of deep breaths. It's, you know, the situation might not be what you're thinking it is in this moment. Like jealousy tells amazing stories. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right? Yes. It tells so many stories. And if we don't have a witness to step back from that moment, we're just fused with it so fast. And then we believe all the stories. Yes. I've had to at times just like put my hand over my chest mm. and breathe and just literally try to feel the energy coursing through me and try to drop the storyline mm. and try so hard not to act on it and say something that I'm going to regret. And it's really hard and I've failed to do <laughs> to have that restraint many times or it's like my window of tolerance has kind of grown over time, I guess. Mm. But I mm. think that it, I think it dovetails so perfectly with your work on teaching people about real love and love being about action, not mm. just about feelings. Because I think in the context of a romantic relationship, if your conception of love is like, the vast majority is about feelings. Like, well, 
if I'm with my partner and we love each other, that means we feel this way about each other all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Then if you suspect your partner might have felt, and you don't even know, but you just you just think, maybe mm-hmm. my partner felt something like that when that person walked by. <laughs> that is so threatening. Mm. Right? Mm. Like, it's... Mm. If it's all about feelings, then it's so threatening that someone could just walk by and your partner could look at them and you could be like, well, that's it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Absolutely dovetails with that mindset that love is much more than feelings. Love is commitment and love is trust and love is action. And I think that piece around trust is so vitally important in all realms where jealousy can show up whether it's, you know, in friendship or romantic love or in, in anywhere else. It can show up anywhere. Those are probably the two most common places I would think where it shows up because jealousy has to do with relationships. I imagine we could be jealous with our children um, or certainly with siblings. Mm-hmm. That would be a huge place where jealousy would show up. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. And envy. But um, that trust piece... Because like when I imagine myself in those horribly jealous moments where I'm scrabbling, looking for a handhold or a foothold and the walls are slippery and there's no place to grab hold. But if I go underneath and I just put my feet on the ground, oh wait, I'm not falling. And the ground is the container and the foundation of the relationship itself. Um and you and I have talked about this, how some aspects of jealousy, I think, naturally fall away over time that you build with somebody, a friend or a partner, because the trust builds. And trust can only build with time. And so the the container and the foundation, the whole vessel of the relationship over time becomes strong enough that in those moments when something comes in, um, maybe, maybe some other part can get online, some wise inner self can get online. And like you're saying, put your hands on your chest and breathe and feel the intensity of the feeling, not to push it away, but to feel it fully. And then to remind yourself, oh, I am with who I'm with. And underneath all of this fear and jealousy and out-of-control feeling, there is that foundation of trust. And can I root into that place even for just a moment? You and I used to talk about this quite a lot in my earlier mid-20s mm-hmm. when my boyfriend Martin and I were, you know, hadn't been together as long and... I remember you telling me, like, it will get better over time. And I'll be honest, I didn't fully believe that. (laughs) I was just like, there's no way. I can't picture that. There's no way. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to underscore and maybe go into a little bit more depth about the trust piece Mm -hmm. um, and what what it means to trust. And so if I if I track back to that initial flare of jealousy when I was six, and I like I said, I felt that all the way through elementary school. I was the type of girl that I needed 
to have my best friend, my BFF, and I needed to know that I was her BFF mm-hmm. um, and that we were a unit. And we could have other friends, but nobody could touch us. And that person would shift over, you know, different school years and different stages of life. But that was profoundly important to me. And as I got older, that started to soften. Um, And then when I was in my 30s, two of my very best friends, um, Jessica and Carrie, and Jessica became my, my official best friend when I was, when we were 12. So it's very, very long-standing relationship. And then Carrie came into my life. We met at Pacifica when I was 23. Um, so both of them have been in my life for a lot of years, totally separate friendships. And then I left LA where Carrie was and Jessica moved back to LA and they had daughters the exact same age. And I sort of gave them my blessing, like you two need to you need to know each other and your daughters need to know each other. And I think their daughters, who's the same age as Everest, we all had kids within like six weeks of each other. Our firstborns were two at the time. And they became very good friends. This is, this was 15 years ago. Um, So Jessica and Carrie became really good friends. And for the most part, I was actually shocked by how okay I was Um, And in fact, I was so pleasantly shocked by not only okay, but how much joy it gave me Mm -hmm. that that these two women who I love as much as I could love any person on the planet were loving each other. And I think the reason I was able to embrace their friendship and celebrate it and, and feel true joy from it was because I trusted my place with each of them so deeply. You know, even though I'm a thousand miles away in a totally different state and they're in the same state and then over time their daughters became best friends. So that was a whole other a whole other experience that that called up stuff in me too, probably even more than their friendship with each other was that their daughters became best friends and it that stirred up more of a place of I want to say maybe envy um, that first of all, that they had daughters and I don't. So there was that place of pain of what I don't have. And that's sort of how I understand envy is like seeing, seeing something that someone else has that you don't have. So Mm. it stirs up that place of lack and longing and, and that it, it, then it brought all four of them close together. And so there were flare ups. They weren't they weren't debilitating though. And I think, again, it was because, first of all, I could talk about it with them. Everything was on the table. They were both so respectful of any feelings that I may have had around it. So it was it was such a welcome conversation. Are you feeling anything about this? So one time, um, Jessica's daughter went with Carrie's family on a couple of vacations, actually. And, and I had some feelings about it, mm. <laughs> but I could talk it through. And then on the other side of being able to talk it through and getting the reassurance, whatever I needed from each of them, that they both still loved me just as much. And, you know, nothing could replace the friendship that I had with them that then I arrived at that place of true 
joy, celebration, as if they were my own daughters, as if their daughters were my daughters. And there was just sort of this dissolving of the separateness um, and a stepping into very naturally that place of there's enough love to go around. Because I think jealousy is, I mean, obviously it's different in a romantic relationship where you have clear parameters that we are monogamous. We are not polyamorous. We are monogamous. And so there is not enough to go around. (laughs) I have no interest in sharing my husband with anybody else and nor does he have any interest in sharing me. So I, but I think in friendship, I was able to shift into that place of, um, I know my place, I trust my place. And the more love there is, the more love there is for everybody. Like it's, it's all so good for all of us. Hmm. I was just thinking about this the other day, how so I was kind of on the receiving end of what you're describing, where mm, mm. I live in a house with two apartments, and mm-hmm. last year the other apartment was opening up, and one of my best friends, Melissa, she has a very close friend, another best friend named Liz, mm. and she's always talked to both of us about each other over the years, but we've ne- mm-hmm. we had not really spent very much time together at all. And she said to me, you should tell Liz about the apartment. I think she and Mark, who's now her husband, would really love where you live. And I think you guys could be good housemates. And Mm -hmm. so she really encouraged that. And that's what happened. Liz and Mark moved in. Mm -hmm. And we've become good friends. And we spend so much time together. And I was thinking about how Melissa is a very generous person. and, And Liz also is very generous. She invites me all the time, like if she has a friend visiting to spend some time with them. She's mm. They're both very generous and inclusive. And mm. it's such good modeling for me because my brain is yes. going, wow, you know, I, I would probably, I'm at a point where I think I would do it, but I would, I would think about it for a second beforehand. Yes. Like, oh, do I really want to do this? Yes. And yeah. I'm thinking about kind of, you know, what's underneath jealousy obviously you've talked about the opposite kind of being the opposite being trust and a sense of security and generosity mm-hmm. so I'm I'm curious when you tap into what's under that primal physical feeling mm. um what comes to my mind is I, I mentioned this to you before there's a beautiful song by John Lennon called Jealous Guy mm-hmm. and I just think it's one of the best Psalms I've heard on the topic of jealousy because he goes right to the underneath feelings and it's a song of apology, but he talks mm. about uh, thinking about the past and feeling like the past is coming up now and feeling a loss of control and feeling insecure that you don't love me anymore. Mm. Um, so yeah, mm. I'm just curious what kind of those underneath feelings are like for you when you're like okay at the on the surface I'm feeling anger you know stinginess whatever but like what does it feel like underneath for you yes I think underneath it feels like fear fear of loss Mm. I think it feels like insecurity and shame am I enough um am I replaceable 
is there somebody who has this, that, or the other that's going to be better than me in some way or some way that you deem better, whoever the you is? You know, I think some of it comes from being in a culture of comparison. So we are constantly being compared to one another, especially women, but men too. We're constantly being held up and probably now more than ever with social media. But even when I was growing up and there was no social media, there was plenty of advertisements and plenty of pop culture to to compare yourself to. And so I think underneath for me, it's that feeling of, you know, of not enough, of I'm not enough or we're not enough or something's Something's not enough in some way. And because of that, somebody else can come in and swoop in and be all of all of the things that I'm not. I think another side of the coin of jealousy is like having a good imagination and being creative <laughs> yes. because it's always a story. Like I have made up so many stories mm-hmm. and none of them could ever really be true because I don't know. I don't know what's going on inside the other two people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I have a poem that I shared with you, Cheryl, last week. And I think this poem speaks to the stories that we make up with jealousy, because this is Mm -hmm. from probably like six years ago, maybe. And it's a made up thing in my head with like the tiniest grain of reality you know, that's just gotten blown way out of proportion. But this is like the type of imaginative catastrophizing and, you know, like it's like a, like a, it's like anti-fantasy, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Um, It's like daydreaming gone bad. uh Uh-huh. Yes. So familiar with that. So this is called Monsters. Mm. You met at the rock climbing gym. She finished a route faster than you. She's not afraid of falling. You watched her body as she scaled the wall, coating you in her dust, and your sweaty hands slipped on the rope. At practice, she talks, and you watch her lips move until, thinking of me, you flush and turn. At night, I think about her. She laughs easily uses Tinder, and never cares whether they call back, but they always do. She throws back beers without bending her neck, and her hair, knotted loosely on her head or swinging around her hips, is soft as cobwebs, the kind that I can't get off of my fingers when I pull my hands out from under our bed. Mm. Oh, it's so beautiful. Mm, speaks so beautifully to the stories. Mm-hmm. Yes. The stories and the comparison, the insecurities. Yes. yes. <laughs> what are the yes. things that I am not? I'm going to project all of that onto this other person. And also how now you are in relationship with this other person. Yes. Way more than... Martin ever was or will be. Yes. She now occupies all this space in your inner world. Yes. Sticky, 
cobwebs. You can't get her off. Yeah. Brutal. (laughs) Oh, so painful. Well, it's that phrase that always comes to mind for me. Whatever we water will grow. Mm. So we water that jealousy in in this kind of way. We grow the stories. We believe them. We go chasing after them. We follow every little suspicious piece of evidence. We put on that Sherlock Holmes hat. It will grow. Yes. Yeah. And we take something that we could just let be. Yes. Like, even if it was like, there are times when it's like, okay, so what? So what if my partner looked at somebody else and thought they Mm -hmm. were attractive? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or, you know, had a moment of spark or something, you know, with someone else out in the world at some point in time. Yes. There's also a moment where you can let it be and say, so what? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the ultimate freedom for the anxious mind. But anxious mind says, no, (laughs) you, you, it is your job to sniff out every suspicious crumb. Because if you don't, something bad might happen because you weren't paying attention. Yes. Some of it is also like recognizing, okay, imagination, like, thanks. You are so, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you are really in high gear. Yes. But I'm going to have to pull some reality in, which is that there's this strange paradox with jealousy where you are simultaneously building someone else up like a god and then trying to tear them down at the same time. Yeah. And in the midst of that, paradox of what you're trying to do you see other people as a threat not just romantically but it's like threatening just to meet other people if you're so entrenched in jealousy because Mm -hmm. anyone who's better than you can totally throw you into a tailspin (laughs) yes and then also you're like denying that person's humanity Mm -hmm. i had a huge turning point when I was jealous of another girl and there was nothing going on that was untoward. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like another girl (laughs) in Martin's orbit. Like he didn't even know her that well. I didn't know her at all. I saw her on social media and whatever. And I had this moment of like, oh my gosh, when I am feeling so jealous of someone else and it's like mainly about appearance maybe. Well, it's not just appearance. But Mm -hmm. that's a factor. It's like I'm participating in objectifying and dehumanizing somebody because I'm reducing them down to the traits that I'm jealous of. Mm. I know nothing about them as a human being. Mm. I'm making all sorts of assumptions about, you know, how they might feel about my partner or whatever. Like, I don't even know this person. And Mm. I'm just reducing and dehumanizing them and... It was so a really powerful moment when I realized that and I just started to think like what if I what if I could actually try to appreciate this person mm. mm-hmm. especially when there's nothing actually going on right like it would be a different story if yes <laughs> but when there's no trust being broken or anything like that like what if I could just be like wow what a cool person mm. what a beautiful person Mm, And I wonder, you know, I wonder who this person's 
favorite person in the world is. And I wonder who Hmm. they are the favorite person for. Hmm. Is it their little brother? Is it their grandmother? Mm -hmm. I wonder what they struggle with because everyone struggles with something. Yes. Yes. That's very beautiful, Victoria. It's going right through the center of the pain point and coming out on the other side of this enlargening of your heart, of your shared humanity, finding those, remembering those common, those commonalities, those places where we all intersect because we all suffer in some way. We all struggle with something. And so that's an incredible turning point. And was that something that had a lasting effect on you? It's something that I can return to and almost Mm -hmm. draw inspiration from my past Mm. self. (laughs) Mm. Like, oh yeah, I was able to summon that. And Mm -hmm. it's really hard sometimes, but I'm not trying to bypass the feeling. Like I let myself acknowledge what's coming up. But then I just try to turn my attention toward what is realistic, which is that this is a human being who is a mixed bag, just like I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're not like a god. And they're a human being. And I can appreciate them for who they are because who they are has nothing to do with me. Yes. And that it just makes me feel more of a sense of how we're all connected. And, mm-hmm. and that actually like we need to all be different and have different strengths and gifts. That's what helps us to survive and thrive and be inspired and have friendships is like we need each other and we all bring different gifts and strengths. Yes. And that's a very necessary and beautiful thing. Mm. Yeah, it's so beautiful. It brings to mind a couple of things. One is that article that you sent me about the three young women who banded together after they realized that they were all dating the same guy (laughs) (laughs) and and went on a a road trip together. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what empowerment, like that could have gone in so many different directions. They could have hated each other. They could have been in their lowest, hardest, most jealous selves. And I'm sure they were there, but somehow... They managed to ride through that and turn to each other as allies and kicking him to the curb. I mean, who knows how all that went down. But that was an incredible story of, of women banding together. But it also brings to mind, and I think this is on the side of where jealousy comes from and um, some, of the, some of the deeper roots is that I don't think until very, very recently that there was a whole lot of sanctity in the marriage relationship, that affairs were almost expected, especially Mm -hmm. from men. So it's like, it's not coming from nowhere, right? We, We understand and we know in our genetic bones, in our history as humans, that People cheat, people lie, people have affairs. And I think if there's any layer of that in, in our personal histories, in our growing up family or in families that we were connected to, then that's going to be an additional overlay. And then 
if any of our early experiences um, corroborate with that, then there's even additional overlays to work through. So the other thing that came to mind was I was remembering my my first boy that I really, really liked in seventh grade. And we started to like each other on a Monday. And we had a real connection. We talked every day after school. We talked all during school, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we went to a party together and we ended up in a room. There's a bunch of other people, but we ended up kissing and it was like my first real kiss. And it was, and I was so happy and I felt so connected to him. And then the next day on Saturday, my friend Kelly and I were supposed to go and do a double date with him and his friend. And he avoided my phone calls. Um, couldn't get in touch. Avoid, avoid, avoid. I started to have that horrible sinking feeling. Um, it finally came out through the friend that he was done with me. Mm. I was shattered. I was shattered. And then... The next weekend, I heard through the grapevine that he was at a party and he was hooking up whatever in that, you know, seventh grade way, roller skating, I think it was a roller skating party, with my best friend. Oh. Oh. And it was just dagger upon dagger in that most vulnerable 12-year-old self with so little armor, so permeable. And so like there it was, I already, I already had that jealous streak in me. It had never come out with a boy because I had never had feelings for a boy. And it didn't even occur to me in our Monday through Friday stint, which, you know, in seventh grade felt like an eternity, (laughs) um, (laughs) that I should be jealous, but I think from that moment on, that seed got planted. And then something similar happened in my high school years, something very similar, almost exactly. And then with my first real boyfriend, it happened again. So I think personal history and I think collective history also very much plays into jealousy. And trust. Oh, I feel so silly for my theoretical appreciating the beauty in other people thing. No. <laughs> because, because there is no reason for you to be like, there was no trust being broken. Yes. Right? Yes. There was no trust That's being the difference. broken. I would not be able to do that. If there no. Was. No. No. Oh, I just feel for little Cheryl. I know. So painful. So, so painful. And that I didn't have a way to process it. I I I remember my feelings about I remember trying to talk about it and my feelings being minimized. Oh, there'll Mm. be other boys, sweetheart, you know. Yeah. Kind of from the adult figures in my life. Like it was truly shattering yeah. to me. Um, 
And I think there is some 12 year old part of me that, that still, I can feel the pain. It's still, it's still there, even though I've processed it and talked about it and done work around it and cried about it. It's, it, it left a wound. And of course it wasn't because of anything that I thought at the time. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not, I don't have the right clothes, but those were the assumptions I would have made as a 12 year old. Mm -hmm. Most likely looking back is the guy just couldn't handle how, how real we were and how deep we went. And it was, it was too threatening to him. That's how I think about it now. Mm. You because know, there was something very real there that was happening. But then we, we tell stories to try to make sense based on the information we have at the time. Mm. I feel like I've always been a little bit extra ashamed of my jealousy because, knock on wood, I haven't been cheated on. <laughs> I feel very lucky to be able to say that. I think I've always felt almost a little bit of extra ashamed of my jealousy because I'm like, I don't have some like wound from being cheated on to like blame this on. I can't be mm-hmm. like, well, this happened and I'm just really scarred by it. Mm-hmm. I've always been so proactive about my my anxiety about things. Bad, bad things happening. I'm, I'm very proactive about that. So for me, it's always been like you said, that kind of suspicion and I'm going to prevent something bad from happening. And I think mm-hmm. in some ways, sometimes jealousy to me comes from this strange overinflated sense of responsibility. Mm. Sometimes I'm like, well, I have to be really, really attuned to threat because I am in every way in life, right? Mm -hmm. So with my relationship, I got to be really attuned to threat. And it's Mm -hmm. my responsibility to make sure that you don't break Mm -hmm. my trust or you don't hurt our relationship. You don't hurt me. It's my responsibility to make sure everything's okay. So I'm going to preemptively try to scope out any possible threat. Mm -hmm. And that's just a really overinflated sense of responsibility and weight Mm -hmm. to put on yourself. Yes, it so speaks to the heart of the highly sensitive person prone to anxiety where that is part of the temperamental trait of scanning the horizon, being hypervigilant, looking for danger in all ways, whether it's health, whether it's relationship safety, all the ways that we need safety Um, and that we, again, are predisposed we are temperamentally predisposed and maybe maybe there's the link in right there. I don't know if all highly sensitive people are prone to jealousy. That would be a really interesting question to ask. Um, but it seems that there there is um, there's an intersection right there that if it's our job to keep everybody safe, including ourselves, that we have to scan the horizon. We have to be suspicious. We have to look for danger. But of course, it doesn't work and it's too big of a burden to carry. That's not actually our job. And it, it, it makes me think about, again, some of my evolution with, with jealousy, being able to, to shift into more of that place of trust. I think about when Dave went back to graduate school a few years ago for psychology and 
knowing he was going to a program that was 97% female, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, away for weekends because it's a residential program. And I definitely had feelings come up beforehand and sat him down and said, I am feeling jealous (laughs) and I am... I am worried and I am in a hundred percent support of you doing this and I you have my full blessing and I totally believe in you. And and he, you know, reassured me like he beautifully does and and sent him off. But it was it was every weekend in person until COVID hit. But at some point I I decided and I think it was somewhat of a conscious choice to let go and trust and trust that Number one, he and I are solid, not perfect, but solid. And I think anxious mind will grab onto that. Well, we're not perfect. So mm-hmm. maybe there's, you know, maybe there's a hole that someone else can fill in him. There's maybe there's a gap that's going to. And I also happen to know that people do meet in this particular program quite a lot. It happens. Um, it's very, very intimate place. Um, so number one, trusting in our solidity Number two, trusting him. And then I think the deepest place of trust and surrender was to say, you know what? If that happens, that would be horrible. And I guess we'll, you know, we'd have to deal with it. Yeah. And, you know, like there, I, I cannot sit here in this place of false control, being hypervigilant and suspicious um, that's not good for me or him or our marriage as a third body. And so choosing to go into that far out reaches of trust, which I think is always where anxiety ends up landing, is making some peace with the worst case scenario. Um, and knowing that that is out of my hands. And that's the illusion of jealousy, like the illusion of anxiety and worry. If, I, if I'm jealous enough and if I say enough, but then something bad won't happen. Mm. If I'm suspicious enough, if I'm honored enough, if I'm hypervigilant enough, then I can prevent bad things from happening. Just like if I worry enough, then the airplane won't fall out of the sky. Well, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're not holding it up. <laughs> you're not, your worry is not holding up the plane. I know it feels like it is. And I know it feels like a huge leap of faith to drop these false footholds that make us feel like we have control, but actually just make us feel so tight inside when we're living from that place. So, you know, like you've said, like I've said, it's not about bypassing. I, I, we did sit down and, and anytime it came up, I would say, I'm, I'm feeling worried or I'm feeling jealous or, or he would start to connect with some of the women in the course and has made a couple friends. And I think old me would have said, hell no, (laughs) (laughs) that is not okay. But like some kind of bigger me has come onto the scene that says, I, I really do want his joy and I want him to have meaningful connections. And I trust enough. I trust enough in my place in our lives and in my, in my specialness to him. And I trust enough that I am irreplaceable, even though I am far from perfect. And I trust enough in our decades together that, and I trust in his character. You know, he's just, 
when it really comes down to it, you know, like he's just yeah. not, he's just not that guy. No. <laughs> he's just not that guy. He's just, just you know, it's, yeah, but even as I say that, I hear my little jealous brain going, <laughs> but. <laughs> <sighs> and we're, you and I are so aware of people's humanity and like, that's why there's always that voice that's like, but people, you know. People mess up. People mess mm-hmm. up. We make mistakes. But what you were just naming, I think another thing that's helpful for me is like really trying to look at my values. Like you were saying, you want him to be happy. Mm. Like Martin and I have spent a lot of time long distance over the past few years. And he's lived, you know, in community with different people for his job. Mm. And his job is like 96% men probably. But <laughs> um. But even that, to be honest, like I can get jealous just of his like friendship or connection or, you know, that he's with, that he's living with other people and not me. You know, it's not just the romantic aspect of it. I think some people connect a lot more strongly with feeling jealous in friendships even than Mm -hmm. their romantic relationships. So, so, so yeah, connecting with like, okay, what do I value? Like, what do I want for myself and for this person? And even if, in my body everything is screaming like well what I want is to control this situation (laughs) you know like I can I you know just bring my prefrontal cortex back online and go Mm. like I I want to be generous I want this person to be happy I want to be happy I want this person to have experiences that help them grow and fulfill them I want and I want the same thing for myself and yes I think there's a freedom too that when we are in that stingy place of jealousy that overly possessive place of Mm -hmm. jealousy Mm -hmm. we can like make our own world smaller or I have done that sometimes I've made my own world smaller because I Mm. want his to be smaller because I don't want that threat I have to pull my values back online and be like, that's not what I want. Yes. And I love the way that you, I love the language that you used to pull the values back online is the prefrontal cortex is what I was calling the the inner parent or the wise mind. But it is specifically that prefrontal cortex, that more rational, higher mind place, because I think that is one of the medicines to that overpowering feeling of, jealousy which is so primitive right it's like it it must be a limbic system feeling because it feels like it comes from that lizard brain like anxiety you know and so that cooling effect of what are my values what is my bigger vision going back to values and vision i think so often in life again going back to relationship anxiety is is very calming rather than um, making decisions and acting on that raw first feeling. So yes, to feel it, to name it, to bring compassion to it, like you would a child having a big emotional reaction and then coming in with that prefrontal cortex of what are my values and vision and what do I want to step into as I'm, as I'm growing as a human. I think the other piece is... Similar to the way I talk about anxiety as a messenger is to, and this might be, it might be helpful for people. I know it's been helpful for me and people that I've shared it with is to, is to think of jealousy as a messenger. 
that I feel more jealous in my marriage when I feel less connected to Dave. So jealousy is at times alerting me to the gap between us. And I can note that when it comes up and I can ask, huh, are we disconnected in some ways? Because when we're really connected, I don't notice it coming up as much. And sometimes this comes out in dreams. So that most horrific of dreams that we've all had of him being with somebody else. He's having an affair. He's in love with somebody else. Worst dream ever. And then I have a choice. I can come to him. I can come to him in the morning and I can share the dream, hopefully in not an attacking and accusatory way, (laughs) as if it's a fact, as if I've been clairvoyant, right? (laughs) Um, and I can, I can seek reassurance. I can be vulnerable. I can, I can seek connection. Right? I can come to him and I can recognize the dream as that messenger and come to seek him out for connection. So, so I think that's one way of working with those dreams and viewing jealousy as a messenger. And then we can also see the dream as a metaphor. Um, am I sensing... And this speaks to what you were saying about the different layers of jealousy, even being jealous of Martin, being connected to other people, not just women, Um, but that sort of possessiveness of like, hey, like you're not allowed to be deeply bonded and laughing and (laughs) bonding with all these other people. You know, am I sensing that my husband is in relationship, in quotes, with, with something else that is taking more of his attention, his attention away from me and maybe more that I'm comfortable with? So, you know, most often for us, that would be his work. So if he's super engaged and from a Jungian perspective, we can envision that like he's in relationship with his, with his anima, his, his muse, his creative force, which is often envisioned as an inner feminine. Mm. And so if I dream that he's in union with some other woman, I can ask is that what's happening metaphorically, where he is in union with, with his studies, with his work, with his art, with whatever, whatever compels him? And again, I am so supportive of those relationships, those inner relationships in his life. I love that my husband has such a fullness of being, has so many interests, creative pursuits, passions. And I can also ask, Am I getting enough attention? Do we need to plan a date? Do we need to just take some time on the couch together? Do we need to go for a walk? Is the dream alerting me to to, to that gap that that might need attention? Mm-hmm. And so if I can pull back from taking it at face value, which is so hard because those dreams feel so real. Gut they're punch. So, oh, they're so painful. Mm-hmm. And on his end too, he's had plenty of those about me. And, you know, neither of us have ever had an affair. And I truly believe that we never will. So at this point, we have to pull in that prefrontal cortex, mm-hmm. which is so hard to do in that liminal morning time that we talked about in our morning episode. And everything's so vulnerable and so murky and feels so real to de- but to pull it in and say, this is speaking to something else, you know? Mm-hmm. And what might that what might the metaphor be? 
Yes. And like you talk about so much in your work, looking at your four realms of self or your inner well. Hmm. I've noticed in myself that if I'm connected with friends, I'm connected with some meaningful creative work or project, I'm connected to my body, things like that. I don't even have as much space to get Mm -hmm. as jealous as in times when like I'm not taking great care of myself or I'm really disconnected and on several different levels and I'm just like putting everything on him. Yes. Offloading a lot of responsibility and there's so much more space for that jealousy to come up and to turn the lens back on myself and go, wait, well, if I'm feeling jealous of that connection he has or that or whatever, you know, mm. would I even have the time to, to <laughs> be so preoccupied by this if I was really focusing on my life? You know, like you yes. said, it's it's a it's all comparison. So if you're really attending to your own life, I feel like that mm-hmm. also takes care of some of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so glad you're bringing in that piece um, because that's true for anxiety as well, right? When we are more filled up inside, we're going to have less space to go to those default places of anxiety or jealousy. The, the key is connection. Connection to self, connection to to other, connection and friendship, when we are filled up, when we are connected, we naturally edge out those um, those more default places. There's just there's just not room for them. So it's a great it's a great piece to underscore. And I will say that a sense of humor is also very helpful with this. <laughs> yes, yes. It I think that requires though some element of trust. Yes. Absolutely. Trusting. It's some element of trusting. This is bigger than me. We're okay. I'm okay. I'm just going to go with so what and move on with my day. Yes. This comes for me after almost seven years of building trust to a point where that's where I can kind of tap into those things more as a really solid foundation of trust. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Do you have any wishes to send... To anyone who might be wrestling with jealousy right now. I do. First and foremost, you are not alone. And I would hope that listening to this helps you to name your jealousy and regard it with some care and with some compassion and maybe even a little bit of humor, um, trusting that you are in good company, I think, and, and that it's just part of the human condition. Like all of these places that we grapple with, they're all part of the human condition. They're all part of our, our, our perfect imperfections. And so if you can take some compassion from this, bring that into yourself, turn it into self-compassion, even some curiosity. Um, for some reason, the image that's coming to mind is of somebody struggling with jealousy is is like a very delicate flower um and and they and they need their own self their own sweet solid inner parent self to gather up that that little daisy flower 
like the kind of flower you might draw when you're a little kid. Um, it's such a it's such a young, tender, vulnerable, primal place, and and that you get to decide what you do with that flower. That my hope is that you that you don't water it too much, but that you give it enough love and attention and humor and perhaps a little a little splash of lightness that it shifts in some way that it moves in some way, that the possession that takes hold in those initial moments, like Victoria said, that you're able to breathe into that intensity of emotion, trusting that there's nothing wrong with you, that you're not alone, and then becoming curious about the next moment where you might land. Might you, on those wings and arms of curiosity and compassion, might you land in a different place than you have before. Perhaps someplace a little bit more open, a little bit more trusting, a little bit more spacious. And if I can land somewhere different, I guarantee anyone can. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. You're, you're listening to two very well-seasoned jealousers. <laughs> Thank you so much, Cheryl. Mm, Thank you, Victoria. If people listening want to find more of you and your work online, where should they go? My website is conscious-transitions.com and I'm on Instagram at wisdom of anxiety. And you can find me at my other podcast, Perennials, or on Instagram at Perennials Podcast. And if you are enjoying Gathering Gold, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate it, leave a review, share with a friend. It helps other people to find the show. We appreciate it so much. Thank you for listening.